Moses was standing there on the edge of the promised land, had his arms lifted up, long white hair, long gray beard. He couldn't go into the promised land, but he was speaking to the Israelites who were. It was the next generation. God wouldn't allow Moses' generation into the promised land because of disobedience. So it's the next gen he's speaking to. One last thing he has to tell them before he dies. God has already showed him he's about to die. So he's standing there, his farewell address, lifts his hands, and for 40 verses he gives them his final words. As we get to verse 15, he starts to get real serious with the next generation. And he begins to address a problem with them that is something that's been a problem for a long time. Their grandparents had a problem with it. Parents had a problem with it. They have a problem with it. Now he's getting serious and looking at the next generation and saying, you've got to get a handle on this. What was it? Idolatry. Idols. There's something about God's people in Deuteronomy 4 that was drawn back to worshiping idols. There's something about us that's drawn to idols. I'm ashamed to say this, um, but for the first 18 years of my life, I had an idol. Now, if you were to ask me, do you have any idols? I'd say, no. I went to church every Sunday. And if you were to say, well, is there anything before God in your life? I'd say, no. But I was not telling the truth. Because for 18 years, I worshiped something other than God. I have a picture of it. Here it is. It's my letter jacket from high school, sports, the Basel Scorpions. I wanted to be the best point guard my town had ever seen. I worship basketball. It's my God. It's all I thought about. It's all I did. Our, our town was small and there in Oklahoma. We didn't have football. Basketball was our only sport. We played baseball some, but we played basketball year-round, and I loved it. I wanted to be the best. That's all I thought about. That's all I did. I went to camps, and, and I, I bought training devices. I remember buying some gloves that, that, that made you handle the ball with just your fingertips, not the palms of your hands, and all kind of training devices and drills constantly. I, I wanted to be the best, and it was my God. I'd go to church on Sundays, and I would take the worship bulletin like this, and while the preacher was preaching, and we were singing, I was drawing plays, and I was writing my statistics, and our conference standings, while we're in the presence of God Almighty. I'm sitting in my pew, bowing to my God. And I worshiped it. 
the age of 19, God spoke to my heart through a disease I shared with you about, almost took my life, and I realized that there's really only one God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He deserves everything of my attention, and He doesn't need idols in my life. I want you to listen to what Moses told the Israelites as they're standing on the edge of the promised land about idols. Verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. The likeness of anything that creeps on the ground. The likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole heaven. In these 40 verses of Moses' farewell address, we're having eight sermons, a sermon series called Moses Speaks Today. What's interesting about these 40 verses, he's standing there as an old man looking at the next generation, speaking to them what they need to know before they go into the promised land. It is amazing how every single verse applies to us 3,000 years later. And so we're looking at every verse, verse by verse, and, and applying it to our culture and our world and America and us. But as we come to verse 15, he's not speaking to America. and He's not speaking to our culture. He's, he's coming inside the church house and speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Because you see, it doesn't matter what gods they worship outside these walls. They're not God's people, those that are, that are not believers in Jesus. So whatever they worship is up to them. But for those of us in this room who are believers, you are to have no other gods before Yahweh. Basketball took Yahweh's rightful place in my life. Nothing is to take his place in your life. So I want us to look at what Moses said. Verses 15 to 19. He gave them three admonitions about idolatry starting in verse 15. Let's look at those three because they apply to us. Number one. First of all, he said, letter A, guard against idols. Verse 15. Guard against idols. Listen to what he said. Moses told the people, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. On the day that God appeared to you at Horeb, you heard his voice, but you did not see a form. So, therefore, don't carve images of him now. Interesting, later on, they're, they're about to go into the temple. God's giving them furnishings for the temple. And he told them, when you come to worship me, I don't want you to carve anything that you think looks like me. 
Because he's a spirit, and if we worship God, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we have nothing in this church or nothing on the platform that looks like God that we bow down to it. Because if we did, it would be limited to our minds. We think he looks like, and he's beyond that. So he said, don't worship anything that looks like an image. Now, that next generation that was standing out there, man, they had idols in their background. You go all the way back to when they were just about this high, and they're in Egypt, and the Egyptians worshipped everything was a god. And that's what they were born into. And then they went through the wilderness, and they're going right, left, nation after nation. As they're wandering through the wilderness, gods, full of gods, full of gods. That's all they're hearing. And now they're coming on the edge of getting their own land, the land of Canaan. And Moses looks at them and says, now when you go to possess the land, the Canaanites live there. And boy, do they have gods. And you're going to be tempted like your granddaddy was, and your daddy was. To bow down to something other than Yahweh. But don't do it. Dr. McIntosh used to say, when you worship anything other than your creator, you lose touch with what gives you dignity and with what gives you purpose. God created you for fellowship with him, so everything else you could worship is pretend satisfaction. And what Moses was talking about here was that golden calf incident in Exodus 32. You remember that? You remember Moses and, and, and Aaron, they went up the mountain. Last Sunday we saw where the mountain just shook and they trembled before the people and they were afraid. And they went up to get into the clouds to get the law from Moses. And the people are afraid. They're waiting to, for Moses and Aaron to come back down. And, and they're waiting with the law of God. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And finally they go, what is taking him so long? And they waited days, and they waited days, and they're going, well, let's just move on without him. Let's, let's create our own God. And so they took their earrings and their jewelry and their gold, and they melted it down into the form of a golden calf. And they all bowed down to it and says, you are now our God, not Yahweh. You are our God. You are our God. And God told Moses, Moses, get back down there. Those people are prostituting themselves with a foreign God. Go on. And Moses went down there and said, Aaron, what on earth are you doing? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know, Moses. We were just having a fun time, and all of a sudden, poof, a cat pops out. <laughs> Man, Moses blistered them. Now here he is standing before the next generation, those people's kids, and saying, guard yourselves carefully because you got it in your blood. Now, if you remember the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the word shamar. You remember? It means to guard. It means to protect. It means to keep. And you remember, it's the image of a dog guarding his food. Around that bowl, and anybody tries to come and... And he guarded 
He says, guard the word and guard your soul. Now, when it comes to idols, he uses shamar twice. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. So I can picture Moses, long gray hair, flowing beard, flowing fire in his eyes, looking at the next generation, and he says, shamar, miodi, shamar. In Hebrew, which meant guard, good, guard. Imagine their eyes go, Guard yourselves. You have a tendency, he said, for other things to move into your life and push God off the throne and consume you. Guard, good, guard. Imagine it was quiet. And here's what he told him to guard, nepes. Means soul or emotions or passion. It's the root word for nephesh in Genesis 2 7, where it says, God made man a living being, a living soul. Guard the very essence of your life, your passions, your desires, your wants. Guard that, that nothing takes it but God. Then his second admonition, letter B on your outline, beware lest you act corruptly, verses 15 to 18. Moses told the people next, since you saw no form at Horeb, that's the golden calf incident, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. Now, what he tells us here is that idols will corrupt you. And the word corrupt that is used, you'll see it on the screen here, it's sahat. It literally means to destroy, to ruin, to spoil, or to decay. Now, it's the picture of something that's rotting or decaying and flies swarming around it. Now, I didn't put a picture on the screen of that. But what Moses was saying was, whenever you allow things into your life that take God's place it spoils you, it decays you, it ruins you. Almost ruined me. Now, I, I would say today that idols don't corrupt you. That's what I would say. Moses said they do. I would say, no, 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 I, basketball wasn't corrupting me. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fun. I loved it. There's nothing wrong with playing it. I continue to play it. No, no, I, I would say what corrupts you would be alcohol or drugs or, or bad friends getting in the wrong crowd. That's corrupting or pornography. No, Moses said, idols corrupt you. It may be something good. It may be something benign. But you make it too much. And you make it your God. And whenever you do, it ruins you. And it corrupts you. I want you to listen to what two books, quotes from two books. The first one you'll see on the screen here is by Thomas Oden. Wrote the book entitled Two Worlds, Notes on the Death of Modernity in America and Russia. 
Listen to what he said about idols. Quote, once an idol captures your heart, whether it's sex or food or pornography or going to the lake or sports or your health or the Democratic Party, whatever it is, if you feel that taken away from you, you get angry and bitter and shaken. If your God is another person and that person's taken from you, many people get bitter at God. Is that your idol? Listen to what Darcy Steinkey wrote. Darcy Steinkey, you'll see the, the, um, the book here, sure, it was called Easter Everywhere. Darcy was the, the daughter of a Lutheran priest. She was raised in the faith, church every Sunday. When she got a teenager, she started going drinking, she started going club hopping, uh, she got into the sex industry. Her life became a mess, and finally she came back to the faith and wrote a book entitled Easter Everywhere. And I want you to listen to what she said. She said, really in life, you only have two choices. God or an idol. And if you start worshiping idols and deny God, you begin to imagine your idol having divine attributes. The idol literally begins to take God's place. Fascinating about how idols corrupt us. They corrupt us because they take from us our obsession for God and replace it with an obsession for something else. We were created, as A.W. Tozer says, to have an obsession for God. And whenever that leaves and something else takes its place and you have an obsession for that object, you've dethroned God and you've corrupted yourself. Now, the people are listening to Moses, standing their hands raised, the next generation, and he begins to list for them, one by one, forms their idols can take. And he tells them, verse 16, and don't let something in the form of a figure take your affection. The form of the likeness of a human being, of a male or a female, the other person. Do you know how easily people can become gods? Now, if I were to ask you today, is another person your God? Oh, no, no, no. Is sports your God? No, 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 no. Is something else your God? Oh, no, no, no. God is my God because you see, here in the church, we play the game really well. We know the right answer. If someone were to ask me when I was a teenager, is basketball your, oh, no, no, it's not mine. No, no, I love, I love God first because I knew that's the right answer. But if I was honest, it wasn't the right answer. 
And Moses said, don't let another human being become your God. Spouses can. Your kids can become your gods. Your grandchildren can. A boyfriend can. A girlfriend can. Careful that another person in the form of a human takes your attention. And then he said, verse 17, and by the way, don't let any animal or any bird take your affection. What? Well, Israel had it in their background. You go all the way back to Egypt, guess what? They worshiped animals. The Egyptians, while the Israelites were there and they saw it, they saw people, the Egyptians, worshiping oxen and heifers and sheep and goat, and the Egyptians worshiped lions, they worshiped dogs, they worshiped monkeys, they worshiped cats. And they worshiped birds, they worshiped ibis and cranes and hawks. And there's something about God's creation that we want to idolize and worship. And some people still do. In Thailand, they worship white elephants because they believe the souls of dead people inhabit white elephants. And in Alaska, they worship the raven because the raven is the chief deity of the Tlingit people, Eskimos. And in Southeast Australia, they worship a crow because it's the element of mythology. And you may say, that's silly worshiping an animal. And then you don't go to church because you go hunting. Or the zoo. And then he said, don't worship any earthly thing that creeps upon the earth. And the Israelites are going, yeah, we've, we've seen that. That's their background. The Egyptians worshipped things that crept on the earth. They worshipped serpents and frogs and, and beetles and flies. In fact, look at the scarab beetle. See a picture of it. They worshipped that. That's called the scarab beetle or also the dung beetle because it's on a pile of dung. Those are found in Egypt. The Egyptians would go out to a pile of dung and worship that beetle. Moses said, don't do that. And the Egyptians worshipped what we know today as the Saharan horned viper. Here's a picture. Because with the horns you see on the head, the Egyptians believed they protected you. So they would get behind them. They think they protected them. And the Israelites saw that. And so Moses looked at the Israelites and says, don't do that. Those things will bite you. Well, today in India, wild mice are worshipped. They have temples dedicated to the worship of wild mice. And then he said, verse 18, and oh, by the way, anything that swims in the water, any fish, don't worship fish. We're thinking, why would he say that? Because that was Israel's background. The Egyptians worshipped fish. Fish. 
and crocodiles and anything that swam in the Nile and the Nile itself, they worshiped. And again, Moses said, don't do that. But today, coastal areas of Japan have cults that worship whales. Something about God's creation we want to worship. And you may say, oh, that's silly. Who would worship a fish? And then they don't go to church because they go to the lake. We can as easily do the same. And then he gave them one last piece of advice in verse 19. Letter C on your outline. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. So Moses is standing there on the edge of the promised land telling him, now don't, don't worship anything that your eyes see on this earth. And then he says, and beware lest you then lift your eyes off of earth and lift them to heaven and worship something in the sky, the sun or the moon or planets or stars. Worship those. Listen to what he said, verse 19. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down and serve them. Now, as I read that, did you notice any progression of verbs through there? Verbs are action words. There's a progression. He said, beware lest you look. Casual glance. And see, which the word means to gaze at something, you stare at something. And then you're drawn away. The word literally means is a sexual enticement to be seduced. And you're drawn away, and then you bow down, and then you serve it. It's progression. You first see something. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And then you gaze at it a little further. And then it tries to grab you like a sexual seduction, and you bow down to it, and you serve it. Beware. Beware, he said. Don't do that. The sun, the moon, the stars, the host of heaven. Who would worship that? Well, that was in Israel's background too. The Egyptians worshipped the heavens. The Egyptians worshipped the stars. And they believed that the planets, the planets controlled your life they believe that oh that's silly pastor but 99 million americans read the horoscope every day and live by their horoscope what's the horoscope it's the belief that the planet's alignment will bring good to you it's the same thing one-third of americans Read the horoscope every day and base their life upon it. Well, I'm a Taurus. Well, I'm Sagittarius. I'm a, I'm a Leo. I'm a Capricorn. Oh, you got to watch those Gemini. You know? <laughs> well, don't ever date a Gemini. That's crazy, isn't it? But we do that. They did that. In fact, it goes all the way back to Aristotle, who championed calling the earth Mother Earth and Mother Nature, it was Aristotle. 
worshiping the planet. Some belief systems believe that the earth was God's wife. One Roman Catholic tradition says the earth is mother and father God and Mary's the queen of heaven. And so he says, beware of this. Don't lift your eyes to heaven and worship something else. Now, you may ask the question, Pastor, how do I know if I have an idol? How do I know if I'm worshiping something other than God? Well, Augustine says that idols are worshiping what should be used and using what should be worshipped, and that's one definition. Adrian Rogers says an idol is anything you love more, fear more, value more, and serve more than Almighty God. It's a good definition. Another definition says looking to blank to give you fulfillment in life. What are you looking for? Is it God to bring you fulfillment or something else? If you fill in the blank, you find your idol. Another one said, if you fill in the blank, if I have blank, then my life is worth living. It may be a spouse, or it may be drugs, or whatever it may be, or it may be a person, or maybe God. And however you fill in the blank is your answer. But here's, here's how I believe you find your idol. It's very easy. Finding an idol is very easy. Admitting you have it's hard. But finding it's really easy. Where do you spend your time, your money, and what do you talk about? Very simple. Where do you spend your time? Look at your calendar. Where do you spend your money? Look at your statement. And what do you talk about? What topic is it that whenever it's mentioned, your eyes light up and you could talk all day? What's that topic? Sports? That's for me. Another person? Your child? Your grandchild? Eyes light up. Oh, I could talk about them all day. The internet? The lake? RVing, politics, some people politics, oh my goodness, they'll talk to you all day. Stock market, your job. Some people, man, what they do for a living, they, they get so wrapped up in it, and they, they'll talk your ear off, you don't watch them. Or God, he make your eyes light up. Do you talk about him, spend time with him? Is that where you spend your money? It's very easy to find your idol. It's harder admit you have it. So here was old Moses. Long hair flying in the wind and long beard flying in the wind and fire in his eyes looking at the next generation saying, you don't have a good track record and you don't have good genes in you. I know your mama and I know your daddy. And you don't have very good genes and a good track record. So listen to me, shamar, miyoti, shamar, guard yourselves good. What a powerful message from Moses. It's a good one for us. 
Several years ago, Henry Nowen wrote a book entitled The Wounded Healer. You'll see a picture of it on the screen. It's a classic book. And in the book, Nowen tells about an old ancient fable in India. It's been around in India for a long time. And here's how it goes. Four royal brothers, all born to the monarch, all got old enough to leave home. They all decided, each one of them, they were going to master a craft or a science. So each one of the four went their four different directions. They went to college. They went to schools. They learned their trade, and time went by. And they all came back having their trade. And they all came back together to share what it was, their trade. And the first brother said, well, I've I have mastered a science. I can take the bone of a creature, and I now have the ability to put flesh on that bone. And the second brother says, that's amazing. I too have mastered a craft. If I, if I see a, a bone with flesh on it, I can create skin and hair. The third brother says, wow, that's amazing because I have mastered a a craft where if I find something with a a bone with flesh and skin, I can create limbs. And the fourth brother said, wow, that's incredible. I've I've mastered a craft that, that if I find something with bone and flesh and hair and skin and limbs, I can breathe life into it. And they're all going, this is amazing, it's incredible, let's go try it. And so they all go out to the jungle. And they find a bone lying there. And they pick it up. It's the bone of a lion. And the first one takes it and he stretches skin out over it. It's amazing. The second brother then takes it and and he makes skin and hair on, on the bone. And then the third brother comes along and there's flesh and skin and bones and he puts limbs to it and it's standing up. And and the fourth brother comes along and breathes life into it and it wakes up and shakes its mane and they go, it's incredible what we can do. And the lion turns around and eats the four guys. (laughs) Shakes his mane and walks contentedly into the jungle. And in India... That proverb is there to remind you that what you often create has the power to consume you. Goals or dreams or possessions or jobs or careers or people, the gods of our creation sometimes are the source of our destruction. Guard good guard. Father, I want to thank you today for this passage. It's, it's meaningful to us. It's powerful to us. And God, I, I ask forgiveness of where from time to time it's so easy for other things to take the rightful place in my life. And God, I know it is for many of us here. Lord, it is my prayer that each one of us as members of First Baptist Church, God, we will guard ourselves against those people, those things, those hobbies, those interests, 
may not be may not be bad to do, Lord, but when we're obsessed with them, they become an enemy of you. So forgive us. So, Father, I want to pray today for those that need to make a decision. Maybe they've been convicted about their gods. Maybe they're online. Maybe they're in person. And, God, I also want to pray for those who have never trusted Jesus as Savior for the very first time, whether they're online or whether they're here. God, may today be the day they submit their lives to you as God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, and the Lord of their life. May today be the day they do that. In Jesus' name I pray.